Hello and welcome to Decades of Design. I'm Jordan Rich and I'm with Rosanna Ansaldi, designer, pattern maker, leather specialist, business owner, and entrepreneur. I invite you to join me in my studio as I weave through each decade of my career, sharing the stories and all the unique details that have made it mine. I hope you find it as interesting and informative as it has been for me. When last we left you, Rosanna was talking about her background, her very proud Italian-American background, beautiful family inheritance, not just the sewing machine, but the skill sets. And I believe, I can say this, the work ethic. Would you agree? Yes. My dad uh, instilled in me a, a very solid work ethic. So I've carried that out through today. Well, people are going to hear more and more about what you've done, how you've climbed over hills and taken on challenges. And I think it's, you're not alone, but I think it's very indicative of the success you're having, why you're having that success, because you work at it. It's not something that just comes naturally. But you did have that serendipitous moment. We talked about it in the last episode. Takes us into the 1980s. When you went backstage to a, uh, an Aerosmith concert, <laughs> everybody knows who Aerosmith is. Take us back there to that meeting with uh, the Aerosmith designer. So I got to meet her. As I said, her name is Francine Larnez, and I knew a little bit about her. Um, she's the one that created all that look for Steven Tyler. And I just loved what she did, and I went over and introduced myself, and we started chatting, and she was telling me, you know, what she does, and she worked with all these beautiful fabrics, and she was great at draping and all that kind of stuff that I didn't do. And I was telling her that my forte was leather, and that's what I had concentrated on in school. I had just graduated, mentioned where I was working at the ballet and wasn't too happy, and she offered me um, to come and work with her and do all the leather pieces. Just like that? Well, sort of, yeah. It was kind of a little conversation, and then we talked about it a little bit more afterwards, you know, talked about it, and she showed me her studio in Boston, and we clicked. And She's a wonderful person and dear friend to this day. And um, that's yeah. so that's so cool. I was thinking back to my youth and the fact that I had to have a leather jacket when I was in my late teens, early college years, and into the eighties. I, I had to have the leather jacket. Yeah. It was very popular back then. Very wasn't popular, it? yes. Yeah. So was the idea that uh, Aerosmith and any of her other clients, you know, would definitely need somebody to provide leather vests and leather gear? Yes, she was doing a lot of the uh, top performers at the time, and um, so I started working with her, first doing a couple pieces with her, you know, for Aerosmith, and then we did stuff for Joan Jett. Uh, from I the- love rock and roll. Yes, we did a pair of leather pants with a black heart on her crotch area. <laughs> I remember that. I was a fan. <laughs> yes, and we did stuff for Peter Wolf, who's here from Boston. We, he used to wear those pork pie hats. We did mm. a couple in leather for him, and um, the famous one is the the jock strap that we did for um, the drummer of the Scorpions. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was in leather. <laughs> Here I am talking to this sweet, uh, very traditional Italian-American, beautiful young lady, and she's making jock straps at this early age. Well, let me back up a little bit and uh, talk about a few things. First of all, leather. You were telling me off air that leather for you is is easy to work with. What do you mean by that? Well, for me, it was easier because in school we did work with different fabrics and 
give me a piece of chiffon and it would drive me crazy just trying to work with it and keeping it still and mm-hmm. all that. With leather, it, so it's more of a craft that you can work with and mold things. And for me, it's it's like building something instead of actually sewing something together. Mm-hmm. So you do, there is a lot of sewing in it, but there's also gluing and hammering and all that kind of stuff. Oh, you got some muscles when you're working on the leather. Yes. You get yes. To, that being said, uh, have to be skilled and adept in designing clothing, which means dimension and arms and legs and all this. I can't even draw a straight line. So <laughs> how much of the design training is part of putting together a, a simple jacket, let's say? Well, it starts from a sketch, and I was never great at sketching. That's one of the things Francine was great at. She was a great illustrator. But I used to go from concept in my mind to pattern. So sketch it out roughly Mm -hmm. and then go from that to making the pattern, which is the piece that you need to cut out and put together. And and there are different uh, grades of leather, obviously, right? There are different grades of leather. There are different leathers that come from different animals. There are different uh, fabrications of leather, suede or... Uh, crocodile, all those kind of things. So. Where does the leather come from uh, for most of the clothes that we, we see and certainly for the stars you worked for? Where, what's the stock from? If so you... mostly lambskin. Did you have an opportunity to interact with these people when you were designing clothes for them at this early age? Um, at this early age, some of them I did. I did interact with Aerosmith. Some of the others I didn't. I think Peter Wolf probably. So more of the local ones. More of the Boston based. More of the Boston based ones. Right, yeah. Right. Francine used to travel uh, for the other ones. The scorpions were from Germany, I believe. So how? <laughs> let's talk about that uh, jockstrap. Uh, you know what a jockstrap is. I know what a jockstrap is. Most of us wear it underneath our clothing yes. if we wear a jockstrap to work out. This was seen and and viewable. Correct? Yes. Well, he was a drummer, so I think his name was Herman the German. Herman that, the German. that wasn't his real last name, but that's what he okay. was. Herman the German. And he um, he was a drummer. And you you don't really see drummers that visibly on stage because they're sitting down. Mm. But they do get up when they do their finish their drum solos and, you know, raise their sticks and their drumsticks. <laughs> their, their drumsticks. <laughs> yes, we, we're being very apropos here. And it was a leather jockstrap with studs on it and very um, ornate, let's say. So here's a question. Who decides I want to put a heart on the front of my leather pants, a.k.a. Joan Jett's look and feel, or I want to put studs or designs or a skull head or something on a chalk strap? <laughs> I mean, whose decision is that? Is it yours? Is it Francine's? Who, who's making that decision? No, that was Francine's decision. And originally, we had done the leather pants just plain with no hearts on them. Mm-hmm. And she actually had a tear from moving around on stage that was, this, the tear was at the crotch. So <laughs> Francine, who's so creative, said, hey, I know how we can fix that. Let's put a heart, a black heart on it, because she's Joan Jett and the black hearts. So that's how Oh, of course. Yeah. Very creative. So very I did smart. get to meet her and present her with those pants. Oh, my, you presented her with her pants. Yes. I love she loved them. I love that. Now, as you're doing all this, you're seeing your work on stage. That must be a real thrill to see stuff that you've designed. Yeah, it was exciting. It, at the time, it wasn't my designs. You know, it was Francine's, but it was my work. So yeah, yeah. It, for me, it was fulfilling, and I knew it was my work, and that's... Now, at the same time, as you're doing all this really cool stuff for the high-flying rock and roll crowd, you are starting to build a little bit of a, a reputation with clients, local clientele, right? People that you picked up 
you did some work for. And it says here, and you mentioned your sisters in episode one, they each had uh, two kids. You had a little fun with some of the scraps, the leather scraps. Yeah, while I was making all those clothes, you end up with a lot of scraps. And, um, you know, my sisters had just had their children. I have two sisters, as I mentioned, and one of them had two girls, one of them had two boys and around the same time. So they're little toddlers running around, and I said, let me put them in some leather. Well, uh, what what kind of outfits or prospects did they come up with? So for the boys, it was little bomber jackets and oh, leather cool. pants, and the girls, we did um, a couple of little fringe jackets, bolero jackets, and skirts. I guess you had enough scraps. They're little people, so it's They're not... little people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. Now, your first official company happens in the 1980s. R.A. Designs is the name of it. So at that point, I was doing the little uh, clothing things for my nieces and nephews out of the scraps, and people would say, oh, those are so cute. You should sell those. So that's when I decided, well, maybe there's something there, and I can put together a line and try to sell it. So kids' clothing is the first official business. Yes. And how did that go? Kids' clothing and leather, yes. Kids' clothing and leather. A unique (laughs) approach, but why not? Uh, How did it go early on? How did it start off? So I put together some pieces, and I decided to go to New York, and that's where, um, in those days, you could find a sales rep. They had buildings with all the showrooms in them. That's kind of like uh, Tin Pan Alley trying to sell a song. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's that's from my world. So you're in New York trying to sell your concepts? and Yes, first time in the big city and brought my few pieces that I had put together in leather and trying to find a representative to -hmm. to sell them and went door-to-door in that building and— What did you think of New York your first time on the path of business? Well, I took the train, and it was the first time in the big city, and I was excited. I was really excited and pumped when I got there and, you know, full of confidence. Sure. And I was ready to go and headed right to the building that I was supposed to be going to and brought my stuff in and just got to it. You found a gentleman. He found you together, two of you, uh, Jack Morris, who's an instrumental in your yes. life at this point. Tell us what Jack Morris was all about. So uh, going through that building that day, I, I went through many showrooms and, you know, was getting knocked down. But I did go to one last showroom and it was uh, happened to be Jack Morris and his wife. There were a couple that ran the company and they were representatives in the children's wear industry. And he sat down, he took the time to look at my things, picked up the little leather skirt that I had and went into the back room, made a phone call and came back and and he said to me, you know, I think I can sell you a line. Would you leave the pieces here? That must have been pretty exciting. It was exciting and scary at the same time because I was skeptical to leave my things there. You know, they were my things, I mm-hmm. thought, at the time. Mm-hmm. And is somebody going to knock them off? And, you know, I, was, I knew nothing about the industry at that time. So, How would someone protect against that? You really can't. In the clothing industry, there's no um, protection. Really yeah, somebody could say, well, I came up with the idea at the same time, right. that kind of thing. You develop this relationship with Jack, and he's working for you and him, of course. And you get some pretty big names that start to fall your way in terms of catalog selling. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I left the pieces with him, and then a week later, like I said, he called me on the phone, and he said that Saks Fifth Avenue was interested in the leather skirts, and if I could mm. provide a 100 of them, you know, quickly— so oh, okay, stop <laughs> right there. Here you are, this little girl from Lawrence, who's granted been with the big rock and rollers, but 
you thinking to yourself, oh, of course I can do that. How the heck am I going to do that? Yeah. What was that the thought process? Because that would be me. I'd say, oh, yes. Oh, now I got to figure out how to do it. Exactly. That was my thought process. But I said to him, of course I can do that. And, you know, and he said, put together a few more pieces and I can rep the line for you. So I did. I, I, um, I went to my dad, who was always good at solving problems. <laughs> and um, I talk about my dad a lot because he was a big influence mm. in my life. Yeah. Just from a practical point of view, how did you solve that problem? So, um, as I mentioned, I had uh, my dad's equipment, a few sewing machines, and um, I was living with my parents at the time, and they had, a, uh, they had room in their basement. So, my dad helped me with work tables, and we set up a workshop down there. I and, love it. Yeah, we got to sewing, and he helped me, and my mom was sweeping, and the dog was there, and it was a great time. I yeah. love What a great story. <laughs> Talk about an American success story, starting in the basement of your family home. So that was my first account with him, and from that, he got me FAO Schwartz, and I got to go out to Chicago and visit the uh, Spiegel Catalog headquarters. He got me that account, and then he actually got me a rep in Chicago so that I'd have a representative in the in the middle of the country. And then from that, I got a rep in Los Angeles and eventually Atlanta. So I had reps all over the country that were helping sell and everything was going great. Now, in between all of this, you tell us that you're starting to do some custom leather jackets for those select referrals. And there's some pretty impressive people, including some local sports heroes, I'm told. Yes. So um, I was continuing to doing custom work, you know, with some clients that would come my way that would hear about me and say, oh, hey, I need a leather jacket and I can't find one in a store. Can you make one for me? Because of their size, they can't just walk into a store. So so I started doing, started building a, a little bit of a clientele uh, with that. So Boston Celtics players, basketball yeah. players, they're a little tough to fit. They're anyway. a little tough to fit. <laughs> So I think my first uh, sports figure was Dave Cowens, mm-hmm. who was a Celtic player. Yes. And I did a jacket for him. And then Dennis Johnson did something for Doug Wilson, who was uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks at the time. And I remember that because I remember the logo specifically was an Indian head logo with all these feathers on it. And um, I had to replicate that in leather. Part of my forte in leather is applique. So I would take any design and recreated in leather, meaning cutting all the little pieces to almost like a like a Tiffany window kind of thing, but mm-hmm. only on on uh, with leather. You came into connection with somebody named Jeff Hamilton. Why is he important at this point in your career? So I never actually met Jeff Hamilton, but I knew of him because he was huge in the uh, leather apparel industry, especially with the sports logos on the jackets. And those were popular back then. Do you remember those and the eight ball jackets and all those? Oh, my God. They were huge. And (laughs) I remember the leather jackets with all those logos. I might have had a Red Sox one because that's me. Uh, That's my sport. And and I'm trying to remember, how costly were they? Where did they range price-wise? Do you recall? I would say they were probably over $500. Yeah, which in those days was some serious cash. I yeah. Mean, good good money. Yeah. Then there were knockoffs later, but There that... were knockoffs later, <laughs> yeah. But the real leather ones were uh, and this was in the 80s now, so they were up over $500, which was probably So at this point, you've got the the children's line, right? Yes. You're working on that. You've got individual clients, you've got some highfalutin sports guys and gals. 
you're really doing rather well for a very young lady at that point. Yeah, the 80s were great. And I mean, the economy was great. So everybody was spending money and, you know, leather apparel for children wasn't that far fetched. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a good industry. So when I was doing all these things for the sports players, I thought no one's doing the leather jackets with the sports logos on them for kids. So maybe I should do that because I'm in the children's leather apparel Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And um, the only hitch was you needed to get the licenses and the licenses were very expensive Mm -hmm. to get. They still are. Yeah, they still are. But as luck would have it, um, another serendipity moment, uh, the Major League Baseball properties were actually looking to expand into the children's wear market. They hadn't been doing a lot in that market. It was mostly an adult market of clothing. Mm. So I went to them and um, they offered me a great opportunity to enter the licensing market at a very low minimum. And once I obtained that license, I was able to pick up the NHL and the NFL licenses also. So as listeners are following along, they're thinking, oh, this lady's shooting right to the top. Everything's groovy. It's 1980s. <laughs> Ronald Reagan's in office. The economy's booming. But like anything else, it's cyclical. And we're going to conclude with uh, a cliffhanger. The 1980s also featured at the end of the decade a big economic downturn, a big bust. And what happens to Rosanna at that point? Well, at that point, I had obtained the licenses, like I said, from M- Major League Baseball, and then I got the NFL licensing and NHL, so I was cranking with the licenses and cranking with the children's wear line, and then, like you said, the economy took a dive. And you took a dive with it, as many, <laughs> slowly, many, many people. Yeah, slowly diminishing <laughs> on, all those, uh, on all those points. So I had to adapt, and I, I had the skills of, you know, custom work, which is basically my roots, so I was thinking of um, about my next moves and what I would be doing in the 90s. And we're going to focus on that next time. Rosanna, thank you for sharing, and thank you for being a great storyteller. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Decades of Design, a snapshot of my career journey. Find out more design details by reaching out to me on LinkedIn or view products from my retail store at andovercollection.com. Please subscribe and download and tell your friends. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. Remember, stay creative and design a great life.